Chapter thirty six of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter thirty six. Sam Brattle goes off again. Mr. Grimes had suggested to the vicar, in a very low whisper, that the new chapel might perhaps be put down as a nuisance. "'It ain't for me to say, of course,' said Mr. Grimes. "'And in the way of business, one building is as good as another, as long as you see your money. But buildings is stopped because they're nuisances.' This occurred a day or two after the receipt of the agent's letter from Turnover, and the communication was occasioned by orders given to Mr. Grimes to go on with the building instantly, unless he intended to withdraw from the job. "'I don't think, Grimes, that I can call a place of Christian worship a nuisance,' said the vicar. To this Grimes rejoined that he had known a nunnery bell to be stopped because it was a nuisance, and that he didn't see why a Methodist chapel bell was not as bad as a nunnery bell. Fenwick had declared that he would fight if he could find a leg to stand upon, and he thanked Grimes, saying that he would think of the suggestion. But when he thought of it, he did not see that any remedy was open to him on that side. In the meantime, Mr. Puddleham attacked Grimes with great severity, because the work was not continued. Mr. Puddleham, feeling that he had the Marquis at his back, was eager for the fight. He had already received in the street a salutation from the vicar, cordial as usual, with the very slightest bend of his neck, and the sourest expression of his mouth. Mrs. Puddleham had already taught the little Puddlehams that the vicarage cabbages were bitter with the wormwood of an endowed establishment, and ought no longer to be eaten by the free children of an open church. Mr. Puddleham had already raised up his voice in his existing tabernacle, as to the injury which was being done to his flock, and had been very touching on the subject of the little vineyard which the wicked king coveted. When he described himself as Naboth, it could not but be supposed that Ahab and Jezebel were both in Bullhampton. It went forth through the village that Mr. Puddleham had described Mrs. Fenwick as Jezebel, and the torch of discord had been thrown down, and war was raging through the parish." There had come to be very high words indeed between Mr. Grimes and Mr. Puddleham, and some went so far as to declare that they had heard the builder threaten to punch the minister's head. This Mr. Grimes denied stoutly, as the Methodist party were making much of it in consequence of Mr. Puddleham's cloth and advanced years. "'There's no lies is too hot for them,' said Mr. Grimes in his energy, "'and no lawlessness too heavy.' Then he absolutely refused to put his hand to a spade or a trowel. He had his time named in his contract, he said, and nobody had a right to drive him. This was ended by the appearance on a certain Monday morning of a Baptist builder from Salisbury, with all the appurtenances of his trade, and with a declaration on Mr. Grimes's part that he would have the law on the two leading members of the Puddleham congregation, from whom he had received his original order. In truth, however, there had been no contract, and Mr. Grimes had gone to work upon a verbal order which, according to the Puddleham theory, he had already vitiated by refusing compliance with its terms. He, however, was hot upon his lawsuit, and thus the whole parish was by the ears. It may be easily understood how much Mr. Fenwick would suffer from all this. It had been specially his pride that his parish had been at peace, and he had plumed himself on the way in which he had continued to clip the claws with which nature had provided the Methodist minister. Though he was fond of a fight himself, he had taught himself to know that in no way could he do the business of his life more highly or more usefully than as a peacemaker, and as a peacemaker he had done it. He had never put his hand within Mr. Puddleham's arm, and whispered a little parochial nothing into his neighbor's ear, without taking some credit to himself for his cleverness. He had called his peaches angels of peace, 
and had spoken of his cabbages as being dove-winged all this was now over and there was hardly one in bullhampton who was not busy hating and abusing somebody else and then there came another trouble on the vicar just at the end of january sam brattle came up to the vicarage and told mr fenwick that he was going to leave the mill sam was dressed very decently but he was attired in an unbullhampton fashion which was not pleasant to mr fenwick's eyes and there was about him an air which seemed to tell of filial disobedience and personal independence but you mean to come back again sam said the vicar well sir i don't know as i do father and i has had words and that is to be a reason why you should leave him you speak of your father as though he were no more to you than another man i wouldn't have borne not a tenth of it from no other man mr fenwick well and what of that is there any measure of what is due by you to your father remember sam i know your father well you do sir he is a very just man and he is very fond of you you are the apple of his eye and now you would bring his grey hairs with sorrow to the grave you ask mother sir and she'll tell you how it is i just said a word to him a word as was right to be said and he turned upon me and bade me go away and come back no more do you mean that he has banished you from the mill he said what i tells you he told mother afterwards that if so as i would promise never to mention that thing again i might come and go as i pleased but i wasn't going to make no such promise i up and told him so and then he cursed me for a moment or two the vicar was silent thinking whether in this affair sam had been most wrong or the old man of course he was hearing but one side of the question what was it sam that he forbade you to mention it don't matter now sir only i thought i'd better come and tell you along of your being the bail sir do you mean that you are going to leave bullhampton altogether to leave it altogether mr fenwick i ain't doing no good here and why shouldn't you do good where can you do more good it can't be good having words with father day after day but sam i don't think you can go away you are bound by the magistrate's orders i don't speak for myself but i fear the police would be after you and is it to go on allays that a chap can't move to better hisself because them fellows can't catch the man as murdered old trumbull that can't be the law nor yet justice upon this there arose a discussion in which the vicar endeavoured to explain to the young man that as he had evidently consorted with the men who were on the strongest possible grounds suspected to be the murderers and as he had certainly been with those men where he had no business to be namely in mr fenwick's own garden at night he had no just cause of complaint at finding his own liberty more crippled than that of other people no doubt sam understood this well enough as he was sharp and intelligent but he fought his own battle declaring that as the vicar had not prosecuted him for being in the garden nobody could be entitled to punish him for that offence and that as it had been admitted that there was no evidence connecting him with the murder no policeman could have a right to confine him to one parish he argued the matter so well that mr fenwick was left without much to say he was unwilling to press his own responsibility in the matter of the bail and therefore allowed the question to fall through tacitly admitting that if sam chose to leave the parish there was nothing in the affair of the murder to hinder him he went back therefore to the inexpediency of the young man's departure telling him that he would rush right into the devil's jaws may be so mr fenwick said sam but i'm sure i'll never be out of em as long as i stays here in bullhampton but what is it all about sam the vicar as he asked the question had a very distinct idea in his own head as to the cause of the quarrel and was aware that his sympathies were with the son rather than with the father sam answered never a word and the vicar repeated his question you have quarrelled with your father before this and have made it up why should you not make up this quarrel because he cursed me said sam 
an idle word spoken in wrath don't you know your father well enough to take that for what it is worth what was it about it was about carrie then what had you said i said as how she ought to be let come home again and that if i was to stay there at the mill i'd fetch her then he struck at me with one of the mill bolts but i didn't think much of that was it then he cursed you no mother came up and i went aside with her i told her as i'd go on speaking to the old man about carrie and so i did and where is carrie sam made no reply to this whatever you know where she can be found sam sam shook his head but didn't speak you couldn't have said that you would fetch her if you didn't know where to find her i wouldn't stop till i did find her if the old man would take her back again she's bad enough no doubt but there's others worse nor her when did you see her last over at pycroft and whither did she go from pycroft sam she went to lunnon i suppose mr fenwick and what is her address in london in reply to this sam again shook his head do you mean to seek her now what's the use of seeking her if i ain't got nowhere to put her into father's got a house and plenty of room in it where could i put her sam if you'll find her and bring her to any place for me to see her i'll find a home for her somewhere i will indeed or if i knew where she was i'd go up to london to her myself she's not my sister no sir she ain't the likes of you won't likely have a sister the likes of her she's a sam stop don't say a bitter word of her you love her yes i do that don't make her not a bad un so do i love her and as for being bad which of us isn't bad the world is very hard on her offence down on it like a dog on a rat it is not for me to make light of her sin but her sin can be washed away as well as other sin i love her too she was the brightest kindest sauciest little lass in all the parish when i came here father was proud enough of her then mr fenwick you find her and let me know where she is and i will make out a home for her somewhere that is if she will be tractable i'm afraid your father won't take her at the mill he'll never set eyes on her again if he can help it as for you mr fenwick if there was only a few more like you about the world wouldn't be so bad to get on in good-bye mr fenwick good-bye sam if it must be so and don't you be afeard about me mr fenwick if the hue and cry is out any ways again me i'll turn up that i will though it was to be hung afterwards sooner than you'd be hurt by anything i'd been a-doin'. so they parted as friends rather than as enemies though the vicar knew very well that the young man was wrong to go and leave his father and mother and that in all probability he would fall at once into some bad mode of living but the conversation about carrie brattle had so softened their hearts to each other that mr fenwick found it impossible to be severe and he knew moreover that no severity of expression would have been of avail he couldn't have stopped sam from going had he preached to him for an hour after that the building of the chapel went on apace the large tradesman from salisbury being quicker in his work than could have been the small tradesman belonging to bullhampton in february there came a hard frost and still the bricklayers were at work it was said in bullhampton that walls built as those walls were being built could never stand but then it might be that these reports were spread by mr grimes that the fanatical ardour of the salisbury baptist lent something to the rapidity of his operations and that the bullhampton feeling in favour of mr fenwick and the church establishment added something to the bitterness of the prevailing criticisms at any rate the walls of the new chapel were mounting higher and higher all through february and by the end of the first week in march there stood immediately opposite to the vicarage gate a hideously ugly building roofless doorless windowless with those horrid words new salem eighteen sixty blank 
legibly inscribed on a visible stone inserted above the doorway a thing altogether as objectionable to the eyes of a church of england parish clergyman as the imagination of any friend or enemy could devise we all know the abominable adjuncts of a new building the squalid half-used heaps of bad mortar the eradicated grass the truculent mud the scattered brickbats the remnants of timber the debris of the workmen's dinners the morsels of paper scattered through the dirt there had from time to time been actual encroachments on the vicarage grounds and mrs fenwick having discovered that the paint had been injured on the vicarage gate had sent an angry message to the salisbury baptist the salisbury baptist had apologized to mr fenwick saying that such things would happen in the building of houses etc and mr fenwick had assured him that the matter was of no consequence he was not going to descend into the arena with the salisbury baptist in this affair the marquis of trowbridge was his enemy and with the marquis he would fight if there was to be any fight at all he would stand at his gate and watch the work and speak good-naturedly to the workmen but he was in truth sick at heart the thing horrible as it was to him so fascinated him that he could not keep his mind from it during all this time it made his wife miserable she had literally grown thin under the infliction of the new chapel for more than a fortnight she had refused to visit the front gate of her own house to and from church she always went by the garden wicket but in going to the school she had to make a long round to avoid the chapel and this round she made day after day fenwick himself still hoping that there might be some power of fighting had written to an enthusiastic archdeacon a friend of his who lived not very far distant the archdeacon had consulted the bishop really troubled deeply about the matter and the bishop had taken upon himself with his own hands to write words of mild remonstrance to the marquis for the welfare of the parish generally said the bishop i venture to make this suggestion to your lordship feeling sure that you will do anything that may not be unreasonable to promote the comfort of the parishioners in this letter he made no allusion to his late correspondence with the marquis as to the sins of the vicar nor did the marquis in his reply allude to the former correspondence he expressed an opinion that the erection of a place of christian worship on an open space outside the bounds of a clergyman's domain ought not to be held to be objectionable by that clergyman and that as he had already given the spot he could not retract the gift these letters however had been written before the first brick had been laid and the world in that part of the country was of opinion that the marquis might have retracted his gift after this mr fenwick found no ground whatever on which he could fight his battle he could only stand at his gateway and look at the thing as it rose above the ground fascinated by its ugliness he was standing there once about a month or five weeks after his interview with sam brattle just at the beginning of march when he was accosted by the squire mr gilmore through the winter ever since he had heard that mary lowther's engagement with walter marrable had been broken off had lived very much alone he had been pressed to come to the vicarage but had come but seldom waiting patiently till the time should come when he might again ask mary to be his wife he was not so gloomy as he had been during the time the engagement had lasted but still he was a man much altered from his former self now he came across the road and spoke a word or two to his friend if i were you frank i should not think so much about it yes you would old boy if it touched you as it does me it isn't that the chapel should be there i could have built a chapel for them with my own hands on the same spot if it had been necessary i don't see what there is to annoy you this annoys me that after all my endeavours there should be people here and many people who find a gratification in doing that which they think i shall look upon as an annoyance the sting is in their desire to sting and in my inability to show them their error either by stopping what they are doing or by proving myself indifferent to it it isn't the building itself but the double disgrace of the building 
End of chapter 36